You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Once again, thanks for having me here today. It is a real privilege to uh, speak with brothers and sisters and open up God's Word. It's hard to get lost these days. And I was just speaking with a gentleman from, uh, from Canada and I was reflecting this morning on the way here on one of my fishing trips uh, that we were off in ungoverned, or un- I think it was ungoverned Ontario. It's far northwest corner of Ontario. It's in the middle of nowhere. And we didn't get lost there because that was only a few years ago and we have, you know, had, had all the sat-nav and GPS as far as that worked and pretty good directions. But years before you have that technology on hand, I was doing a similar fishing trip, not quite as remote, somewhere up in Wisconsin, uh, in the north, middle north of America, just below Canada, and it was three in the morning, and we were we were lost before um, you know smartphones. We pull up to this service station, and we have no idea um, where this lake. I think it was Brown's Lake, not that that matters. And we go to the attendant who's just waiting for us, and uh, say, "Look, we're looking for Brown's Lake. Can you tell us how to get there?" He just um, shakes his head and says, uh, sorry. Oh, I'm really sorry. You just can't get there from here. And at three in the morning, I was devastated. And then I realized, I've just come from Australia to Wisconsin. I'm pretty sure I can get there from here. But it wasn't until he had a little smirk in the corner of his mouth that he, he must use that line time and time and time again, that you can't get there from here. Of course, we could get there from here, and it was only like 20 minutes away, but he you know, keeps, keeps himself amused by harassing poor strangers in the middle of the night. But it's hard to get ourselves lost these days, isn't it? It's hard to, it's hard to actually get lost. You have to work hard at it. Be trekking somewhere. Unless your memory isn't great. And I have a good medical reason for my memory not being great. I had an accident several years ago, which I've largely recovered, although I'm not sure because I can't remember how well I was back then. It was a head injury. And it is funny now um, at times. And uh, one of them was uh, driving up military road. I was was on Powderworks, sorry. Now I can't remember. I was on Pitwater Road, uh, heading south from Narrabeen. This is um, a few years ago, although it did happen more than once, possibly before the head injury, but I can't recall. So it's happened a couple of times. I've been in the car and I get to, say, Brookvale, and then I realise I'm on autopilot. I'm on autopilot and I'm driving down Pitwater Road and I'm not actually sure why I got in the car 15, 20 minutes ago. And then it dawns on me, I have a meeting up at Ride. Actually, that time I was meeting Andrew up at Mauling in Ride, and I'd gone entirely entirely the opposite direction for a good 15, 20 minutes. Now, it didn't really have that great a consequence. I just turned around. I was a little late. No problem. Uh, but it's happened more than once, uh, possibly before the head injury, but certainly, certainly since then. And so I, you can be, in some sense, you can be surrounded by a very familiar world. You know all of the landmarks. You know exactly where you are. And yet for all intents and purposes, you're lost. Psalms like Psalm 65 sit here for us to stop us getting lost, to stop us walking around our everyday lives 
and forgetting where we really are. And I think even though it's hard to actually get lost, we get lost all the time. We walk out the doors on a Sunday, the worries of the world flood into us on usually a Sunday night, maybe earlier, and by Monday, Tuesday, we're into a routine and we've largely forgotten where we are. So Psalm 65 is going to help orient us. This is why we need the Psalms. We need them as their songs, their things that we, uh, their gifts that we share together, that we sing together, that we repeat, that we memorize, um, because we are so forgetful. And this Psalm, this particular uh, Psalm in 65, is going to help us realize that we are constantly in the presence of God. That we are constantly in the presence of God. Whether we're on the bus, heading back to a new year at work, uh, whether we're off to college, whether we're uh, going through the motions of life at home with young kids, young family, at the park, at the shops, in the office, Psalm 65 reminds us that we're in the very presence of the Holy God. And in that presence, he can satisfy our deepest needs and our greatest joys. So Psalm 65 is going to remind us that we're in God's good presence and ask us if we're satisfied in his good presence. There's three movements in the psalm. You can see them in, uh, in the Bibles that are there, there before you. Uh, if you don't have one, they're under your chairs, I think. And there's three movements here, the first few verses down to verse 4, uh, and then verse 5 to 8 and 9 to 13. And in each movement, we see that God's presence brings us something. God's presence is designed by him to bless his people. And we see it there right in the very first section of the psalm, right there in verse 4. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. I'll read that verse again, verse 4. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, and of your holy temple. Now, for the ancient Israelites, God's presence was, yes, it was everywhere. Some of the Psalms are going, even this one's going to talk about God being present over the distant seas and the far nations. And there's a sense in which God is everywhere and no one escapes his presence. But there's something special about God's presence with his people, his holy presence, a presence that is there to relate to them, to love them, to care for them to bless them. And for the Israelites, that centered around their their church, their their temple, their courts, where God met with them, where it was a holy space, where only the priests could come up and enter those tabernacle and the holy areas to make sacrifices. And if you were living in the community, living in the, the land around the temple or around the tabernacle, then you would experience God's care and blessing. And so the psalmist is saying, blessed are those who God has chosen, whom he has drawn near to him to live in his courts, to be surrounded by his presence, his holy presence. Now, as we read this psalm today, we know that because of what Jesus has done on the cross and because of his sending of the Holy Spirit, that that special holy presence of God goes with us everywhere. For all those who he has chosen and whom he has drawn near in Jesus, all those people 
have God's holy presence in them and with them wherever they go. In a way that the Old Testament uh, singer and psalmist here would never have anticipated that you could leave the courts, leave the church, leave and go home, leave and go to work, leave and go on holidays, lie down at night and still have God's holy presence envelop and surround you. And this is staggering for them. And I think we might forget how staggering it is for us that God's holy presence with us all the time is possible, is made available, is gifted to us. If you just cast your eye back up the psalm to verse 3, this one verse before, when we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. This first part of the psalm is just recognizing that you can't You don't just have access to God's presence. You can't just enter his courts. You can't just receive the blessing from him. Because when unholy, sinful people who've been broken by sin enter into God's presence, holy presence, it's incompatible. God's righteousness and justice mean that there is judgment and destruction, wrath. And yet the psalmist is reflecting that for those God has chosen and drawn near, he's provided a way that you can be in his presence all the time. And for the Old Testament saint, for the Old Testament psalmist here, it's the sacrificial system. It's faith bringing bringing these sacrifices and finding forgiveness. And for us, we know that because of what Jesus has done, we have access to the very presence of God all the time. Of course, that's God's intention, isn't it? That was God's intention always, to be near his creatures, to be with his creation, and to bless them with his presence. And he's made a way for that. He's made it possible. He's made forgiveness possible, cleansing possible, so that unholy people can be in God's holy presence and receive his blessing. God's presence with us means we've been forgiven. God's presence with us in all of our life every day means that we are forgiven people. And I guess that has two possible, uh, two broad um, ideas that this uh, first part of the psalm is inviting us to. It's first of all inviting us to be grateful and to remember that God, that God's holy presence is with us everywhere. But secondly, to remind us that we've been saved and forgiven to enter into that presence which might help us reflect on our need to come to him in prayer, our need to reflect on our continued sinfulness and to adopt a posture of penitence before him. Sometimes God's presence is a little disconcerting. Uh, At at many times we're going going to talk about the blessing of God's presence as we work through the psalm here, but God's also present when he sees our dark hearts and our evil deeds and our selfish actions. And there's an invitation to just come, be forgiven. God wants to be with you and bless you. Are we adopting a posture of penitence? Or are we lost as we go about our daily life, forgetting that God's holy presence is with us all the time. Uh, The second movement begins in verse 5. You answer us 
with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Saviour, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who form the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who still the roaring waves and the roaring of their waves, the roaring seas, sorry, and the roaring of their waves and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders, where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. This is a reflection on God's awesome power, and it stretches from... Um, the dawn to, uh, to dusk, and it also stretches to the distant seas and far furthest lands. Why is the psalmist now thinking about the grand scope of God's presence, that it's everywhere in all creation? Because it doesn't matter where the psalmist goes, it doesn't matter where he is in all creation, God's strength and power are there to protect him. Go back and look at verse 5 as it opens. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Saviour. You answer our prayers when we need your help. You are our Saviour everywhere in all of creation. And then it reflects on um, imagery where God is the creator of mountains and seas and that he stills the waves and stills the turmoil of the nations. The, the oceans and the sea, if you read through the Psalms, just pop up over and over again. And this, is because, this is because a reflection on the great power of the ocean is not just um, because God is the creator of the seas, but because the seas in ancient Near East mind and the mind of the Israelite was chaotic and dangerous. It wasn't a place you enjoy in the weekends. It wasn't somewhere you go down and, and wait for the, the storm swells and, uh, you know, get your longboard out and, uh, well, or your gun and, and charge some bigger waves. You don't swim. It's not recreation. The sea in the Israelite mindset is a place of chaos, a place where all of the forces of evil war against the forces of good. They all come out of the sea. In fact, if you read through Revelation next, you'll notice that the imagery of the final battle where the beast summons his army, he puts his foot into the sea and summons this horde, all of that imagery drawing upon this idea that the sea is full of evil and wickedness and chaos. And so not only is God the creator of the seas, but he can still them, make them quiet. It's not just about his creative power, but his unprecedented power in all the universe. There is no power, no person, no force, no creature, no evil force that can prevail against him and his people. This is what happens when Jesus calms the sea in Luke chapter 8 and other parts of the Gospels. This is why the fishermen who understand that this is impossible totally freak out and say, who is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? It might be possible for a moment to imagine that the wind just stopped. That happens from time to time. You know, A big kale might push through and all of a sudden it goes eerie calm or you might sit in the eye of the storm and all of a sudden the wind disappears. But for the waves to stop, for the waves that were about to break a boat in Galilee, a fishing boat that's not designed to, to capsize, to actually be going under, and then these waves just to go dead calm. It's not how waves work, right? That's why we used to scour the maps before Coastal Watch apps to check how many um, days the swell would arrive from a windstorm out at sea because the waves go for days and days and days upon days after the wind stops. And when Jesus says, be still, it just goes eerie, calm and dead. And they know they're sitting in God's presence because only God of the Old Testament, only God has the power over the sea, over the forces of evil, over chaos. And it's this God 
that is with his people. It's this God that brings protection to you. I think another thing that we forget is that when we come to Jesus and we receive that great salvation, we think it's um, mostly about being forgiven. And it's certainly about being forgiven. And we're saved from our sins, but we're saved to life with God. Not just from something, from judgment. We're saved to life and blessing, to protection, to his presence. And so the second movement in the psalm is not only are we entering your courts in the first movement and we're now blessed by being forgiven and accepted by you, but now this God who has unprecedented power is now on our side to the distant shores of the furthest seas. There's nowhere I can go where his power does not protect. Next week, I'm, I have the great privilege of speaking overseas to a group of missionaries. Um, and I might use Psalm 65 to talk to them in that context. And they're coming out of a context that's really dangerous. Uh, that their lives and their families' lives are, um, well, they're in danger. Uh, the, the, the powers, the nations, the forces around them are against them and against the gospel. And if they were found to be proclaiming Jesus in this place, they would be imprisoned and persecuted and we don't know what else would happen to them. But we don't need to go to those distant shores to need God's protection. God's protection extends to his people everywhere who submit to him in those places. But God's protection is here for his people now, for you and for me, in much uh, different contexts. In contexts where there is still threat, where there are still powers at work against us. Certainly powers in society, but people and uh, institutions that are oppressive to God's people. As you, as you, I don't know what's in store for you this year, and actually we don't, none of us know what is in store for us this year, but we have expectations, don't we? And I wonder if yours are filled with fear and dread because of those above you, those empowered over you. God's promised his presence, and God's presence and protection extend to his people throughout all the earth. From Mossman and the northern beaches all the way to Asia, the Middle East. There is no shore, there is no place, there is no power where God cannot, that God cannot still. That God cannot put down, that God cannot protect you from. Whether you're on the bus with family, in the office, in the park, going back to school, whatever it might be, whatever forces are against you, God is greater and God has promised to be with you and to protect you. And there's a third movement. The third movement, we've seen that God's promised uh, God's presence brings forgiveness, God's presence brings protection. And as we move into the last scene, we have this great picture of rain and abundance. Um, just read, with, read it with me again. Verse 9. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. 
The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. For so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks of, uh, of sheep. And the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. Imagine preaching this a week ago. Right. Luckily, it's rained in the last week since I've decided to preach on Psalm 65. Although I'd already decided to do this knowing that we we're in drought and bushfire. And I was there out west um, a year ago, in uh, north of Tamworth, uh, visiting a church in, some, in the community up there. And the, the extent of drought was devastating a year ago, two years ago. And it's only, only just this morning on Facebook I saw pictures of one of the dams where there were sheep grazing in the dam, now full uh, for a couple of, at least farmers in that space have re- received relief. And this is, this is the life of the psalmist and agrarian society in Israel where they recognize that the rain and all the blessing of harvest and crops comes from God. It's not saying that it's going to happen every year. It's not saying that it's, there isn't going to be hardship. The psalm anticipates hardship from start to finish, that the nations are turmoiling, that the rains bring blessing because a minute ago there were none. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be full. But when God is with his people, he's promised to forgive, protect and provide in abundance. The, the language here is of excess. Uh, so just picking up one, one phrase for us to look at. Uh, where is it? It's the one about the cart. Verse 11, you crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow. It says your carts drip, fl- drip fat and the tracks are covered. Basically, it's picturing them bouncing along with their ox-drawn carts after the harvest, and they have so much oil that they've pressed from the olive oil, and they have so much bounty from the meat that everything's just spilling over. It's just all over the ground as they move on because it's so full with God's blessing. The result of this is that creation sings, the very last line. The meadows are covered with flocks. The valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. They shout for joy. It's picturing creation realizing the goodness and the blessing of God, that it's realizing its potential to bless the people around it. And it's joining with God's people. And so as we, sing through, as we read through Psalm 65, we're invited to think about the abundant blessing in creation and how creation responds. The very last word of the psalm is, and they sing. And if you look right up to the very beginning of the psalm, there's a little line above verse 1. It says, for the director of music, a psalm of David, a song. There's a whole bunch of psalms just in in these four together are all explicitly entitled songs. Now, they're all supposed to be sung or prayed, but these ones here, it's a song to help you sing with creation, reflecting on God's good bounty in your life. On the one hand, the picture of overflowing um, fields and meadows and sheep is a metaphor. Just like God cares for creation, God also cares for us. There's a parallel there, right? And Jesus does the same thing in Matthew 6 with the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. So on the one hand, it's a picture of God's blessing that pictures what he does for us spiritually, but not just spiritually, because this harvest was very real for the Israelites. And the blessing in creation is very real for us. We were just talking about that a minute ago. A nice segue back to the interview where we were reflecting on coffee 
or my other hobbies now, since coffee, smoking meats and um, brewing beer. Andrew also got me into that as well as the psalm. So basically, he's got me into everything. One of the... Um, One of the sort of the odd things that we do, uh, sometimes I, I surf regularly with the guys from church, and a couple of them, depending on who's in the group, will stop and pray before we go for a surf. It's just a, a natural thing that they do. It's not like it's planned. It's not like whose turn it is. Someone will just stop and pray. And uh, I think it's a lovely thing to do. I don't always do it myself, although I do find when I'm out in the surf, some, often by myself, that I'll be reflecting and spending time there just reflecting on the beauty of creation and God's gift of it. But there's something really nice about stopping and praying, not just for meals, which we can tend to fall into habits of, but stopping and recognising that the bounty of creation, the excessive goodness of it that's designed to be enjoyed, is supposed to help us reflect on God's goodness, his good presence, his abundant provision of more than we need. So we're supposed to emulate the song of creation, reminding us that we too should sing about what has been given, but we're also to enjoy creation. The creation that's singing is here for us to enjoy, the bounty of it, the goodness of it. So as we go about our days and leave on the bus and end up at school and work and college and home, those moments where you can experience the generosity of God in creation are a reflection, an opportunity for us to uh, praise him, to thank him to remember his presence with us in every circumstance. Praise emerges from a deep satisfaction with God's presence. I'll say that again. Praise emerges in the psalm, Psalm 65, from a deep satisfaction with God's presence. That might sound strange to some of us, and some of us sort of resonate with that idea quite quickly, that God's with me. But God's promised his spirit God sent his spirit after Jesus to ensure that he is with us forever, that we are his holy people, his holy church where he dwells, that he's accepted us, forgiven us, that he protects us, and that he blesses us abundantly. The psalmist is reflecting on these things that I think we often forget and suggesting that our praise and creation's praise emerges from a deep satisfaction with God's presence. You'll see in verse 4, Nine, uh, you care for, the word is visit. You visit the land and bless it. You draw us near. It's all about being enveloped by God's good presence. And it's an invitation to sing, an invitation at the top and the bottom of the psalm to sing with God's people and to sing with creation about how good God is and what he's done for us undeservedly. For us, for those of us, as we sing this today, we see uh, further uh, what God has done for us in his son. But sometimes it's hard to sing, and I just want to talk about that for a moment. I don't know if... I'm sure many of you are like me, and uh, if you've come to the church for many years, like I have, then uh, there's lots of days you turn up, and even though the music's great and the people are, are all singing, you just don't feel like it. You just don't feel like you're experiencing God's presence. You don't feel like you're experiencing God's blessing. You don't feel like you're experiencing his protection. Well, the psalmist often felt that way too. In fact, you might be surprised to know 
that most of the Psalms, or the, the majority type of Psalm in the Psalter, in the book of Psalms, is lament. Where the Psalmist cries out because God's promised these things and the Psalmist doesn't feel them. The Psalmist isn't experiencing them. The Psalmist is under threat, under persecution, alone, isolated, without help, and cries out for God to act quickly. In fact, you just have to go back one Psalm to Psalm 64. And you'll see it there. You just have to move a few psalms ahead to Psalm 69. And there it is again. Sometimes it's hard to come into a congregation and sing praise when we're feeling like God's abandoned us, when we're feeling like God's presence is not being felt. But that is the... And that is, I think the psalms tell us that is okay. It's okay not to feel like singing Psalm 65 all the time. But it is good for us to be in a place where people sing, where people remind us that God is good, that he has forgiven us, that he does provide for us, that he does protect us. And it's because of those fundamental convictions that the psalmist in Psalm 64, the psalm before, can cry out and say, why and how long? Because he knows God should be and will be doing these things. Now, I mentioned that it might be a strange way to end a praise psalm to talk about when praise is hard. But I think we talk about praise a lot. And I just want people to realize that in the midst of all of these responses to God, praise is, is always fitting. And yet there are times when lament and the ability to sit with a congregation and not sing with them is just as faithful to stand there and question God and wonder why this isn't being experienced right now is just as faithful as the person singing Psalm 65. And hopefully over the days and years, that song can become yours and mine too, if we're in that space. As I said uh, in the video, as I said at the beginning, the Psalms are this invitation to all of life, to bring all of life before God, the highs and the lows, the joys and the um, heartaches. And here there's a moment of joy. A moment of joy that doesn't ignore the heartache, but just recognizes that God has given us his presence. And in that we have his forgiveness, his protection, and his abundant blessing. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you for your constant faithfulness. We thank you for the words that draw us into remembering where we are in your world and that in your world there is no escaping your good presence. Lord, we pray that um, for those who are struggling to feel and understand what you're doing in their life right now, that they would find these words encouraging and that they would find other words too, that they might come before you and cry out um, in faithfulness. But we thank you, Lord, for your provision in Jesus. That means that wherever we go and whatever we encounter, you are with us, you are stronger, and you are generous to bless us. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.